Welcome to Rooftop Perspectives, inspiring Christ followers to join Jesus in his mission in their everyday lives. Welcome to Rooftop Perspectives. My name is Michael Brewer, and this is John Whaley. Good morning, John. Good to see you, Michael. Good to be seen. It is. And we're glad you've joined us today for Rooftop Perspectives. Our prayer is that God will use Rooftop Perspectives each and every week to inspire you as you join Jesus in his mission in your everyday life where you work and play. Uh, this week, we begin something very special. It's a two-part conversation with a, a lady who, without any doubt, loves Jesus and has been joining Jesus in his mission since she was a little girl. John, tell us a little bit more about this special, wonderful lady. So over the next two weeks, this will be a two-parter. You're going to have an opportunity to hear from Glenda Cook. Glenda has been a missionary with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention in Taiwan for 40 years. Um, she is now 71, as she'll mention in part two. Been there since she was 31, and she is a delightful person. Yes. Um, she has a passion for Jesus for joining him and in, in reaching people who are far from God. And her passion's contagious, Michael. I mean, it's, oh, it's contagious. Um, Michael and I were in Dallas, Texas when we did this interview. So you'll notice our backgrounds uh, a little different than normal for most of our interviews. Probably the easiest interview that we have ever done because we just kind of <laughs> kind of just asked her one question and set her loose. And she has got so many stories but also some really powerful principles yes. on, on what it means to join Jesus in his mission, how to engage people in gospel conversations, even when you're in difficult places. And she is one of those difficult places, as you'll hear about today in Taiwan, um, ministering to the Hakka people, but a delightful, delightful lady. So you will enjoy Glenda Cook. And so sit back and enjoy part one, and we'll be back in just a moment with some, some takeaways from this first part of our conversation with Glenda Cook. Glenda, it is so good to have you with us today on Rooftop Perspectives. Thank you for taking the time to join us. It's just a joy to be here from over here in Taiwan. Amen, amen. Well, we always like to begin by just introducing our guests to, um, to those watching, to our guests. So tell us, Man, just tell us about Glenda Cook, about your journey to Christ and family and God's calling on your life and how you ended up in Taiwan as a missionary. Um, tell us a little bit about, more about Glenda. Okay. Uh, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My dad uh, was a pastor. He was really uh, bivocational. We started out in Grants, and then we moved south to La Mesa, which is just outside of Las Cruces. Uh, mm -hmm. Grants was a mining town. La Mesa was a farming town. And uh, from there, a couple of years later, we moved across the mountains to Tularosa, which is another farming town. And it is just uh, south or west of uh, Mescalero Apache Reservation. And then we moved to El Paso. And so that is my physical journey. Wow. Um, but daddy was a, was really a, a, a small time, small church pastor. Uh, 
uh, a lot of pastors look for the bigger church to move to. Uh, it seemed like daddy, I was always looking for the smaller church or the church that was in bigger trouble than one where we were. So if we went visiting a church and it was in bigger trouble, we kind of knew pack your bags were moving. Uh, he just had a different perspective. Uh, Daddy was a third grade pastor. And uh, so he had moved around. His grandfather had been a circuit pastor in East Texas. So he kind of had that in his DNA. Uh, my first introduction to missions, I didn't know what it was called. I just knew what we did was in La Mesa. Uh, that's near uh, the largest uh, pecan orchard in the world and cotton farming. And every summer we would go get all the brick kids and throw them on the back of, literally throw them on the back of the cotton trucks and take them to the church. And uh, we would have people that would come and help and they would have a Spanish uh, vacation Bible school for them. What we were doing, I just didn't know there was a word for it called missions. <laughs> uh, so from there, we moved to Tularosa uh, in the summers. We would go up to the Mescalero Reservation and do again. I knew what we were doing, I just didn't know there was a word for it down in town. Uh, we would get the fire truck the first day of vacation Bible school. And it would go all through town with a siren and uh, the kids would be running behind the truck and would be, uh, not me literally, I was too small, but they'd be pulling the kids up on the fire truck. Uh, back in those days, that was not a problem. And we would be doing that. And then they would those kids back crawling all over the fire truck to vacation Bible school. At wow. that point, Daddy was bivocational uh, because the churches, small farming churches, particularly in New Mexico, uh, are really just too small to to uh, really support a pastor full time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was my introduction to missions. Uh, I trusted Christ when we were in Tularosa when I was five. I was baptized when I was six. And the, the, uh, the, the delay was because mom and dad would go up the mountains sometimes on Sunday afternoons. And mom and dad would give me an oral examination. Uh, the exam was not a yes, no answer. The, it was an essay. Uh, yes. Things like, as much as a five-year-old can understand, what is sin? Uh, when do you sin? Give examples. Well, you know, no five-year-old likes to do that, but that was my oral exam. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? So mom and dad wanted to be sure that when I said I want to follow Christ and I want to trust him, that I actually understood that what that meant is best if I understand. And so my answers were five-year-old answers, but they satisfied mom and dad that, yes, I did understand who Jesus was. I did understand what he did. I understood what sin was. And I wanted 
to follow him. And so uh, when I was six, I was baptized. And I had a really good friend whose father uh, ran the local gas station. And so he was one of the that I told first. I didn't know that was evangelism. <laughs> I was just telling my friends what had happened. Uh, so that's kind of my early beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was sick in second grade, we moved to El Paso. And that was to a small church near uh, uh, Fort Bliss Air, uh, uh, military base. Mm -hmm. And so most of the members were military. So it was very transient. Um, and it happened that we uh, had some members who were actually uh, missionaries with International Mission Board, and they worked at the Spanish Baptist Publishing House. Uh, so daddy got a Bible camp, and he was working also at the publishing house, but the Rosses were members of the church. And every Sunday afternoon, they would go across the border to Juarez, where they a new church over in a very poor area. And so about once a month, every two months, we would go with them in the afternoon. And of course, everything was in Spanish. I understood nothing that was being said, but I did understand what we were doing. Again, I didn't quite have the terminology down that this is missions and evangelism. I just knew what we were doing. And yeah. so that was my first international missions experience. A little parenthesis, the time I got to Taiwan, outside of going to Juarez, I had never been in the country. Juarez was my only international experience. Wow. But my GA director was Jimmy Ross. She was that missionary at the publishing house. Now, getting a sample of missions and your GA director is an actual missionary you're gonna really get missions mm -hmm. and i can i i attribute a lot of, of that her, uh that she just put uh in us a heart for missions um and she was a great ga director and we got practice we got we got living practice when we would and i already had these other experiences so I was eight years old. Uh, Dr. Baker James Cawthon came to First Baptist Church El Paso to speak. And so, of course, with the Rosses and the publishing house, uh, all the missionaries from the publishing house went and many from our church, this little tiny military church, we also went and heard him speak. And uh, his stories were just amazing, what God had done. So that really touched my heart. Not long after that, I went to mom and dad, and I was eight. And I'm not sure what it means, but I think God wants me to be a missionary, whatever that means. But I think it's kind of what we've been doing all these years. <clears throat> <laughs> what do you yes. think? And their response was, well, and that kind of ended the conversation. They mm. were in complete agreement. They were not surprised. 
and they were very supportive for an eight-year-old. Uh, again, for an eight-year-old, there was a lot of things I did not understand, and that would come. Uh, I didn't make it to the field until I was 31. So God right. called me very early, but he didn't send me early. Yes. Uh, progress a few years. Uh, I ended up at the North Texas State University and was very involved in the BSU. I started out at UT El Paso in the BSU. Then I went to North Texas and I was very involved in the BSU. Uh, in fact, my parents thought I majored in BSU. And <laughs> could go to class sometimes. That's uh, funny. So first mission trips would be connected to BSU. In 1972, I was a summer missionary with Texas BSU in Dallas in inner city. Uh, learned a lot of things about myself. Learned a lot of things about inner city and, and urban uh, uh, missions that I really had never experienced because I'd always been more involved in small communities and farming. Finished my degree there and went to Texas A&M, which I had always wanted to do. And mom just was not going to let her daughter go to that place. And uh, by the time I was ready for graduate, well, that's where I'm going anyway. Uh, got involved in BSU. And my real discipleship experience came through BSU mm, uh, at, at all three campuses, um, but particularly uh, at A&M. And we, it, it was, we had Bible studies and other things, but uh, Ron Wells was the director and it was just discipleship, 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 discipleship. Uh, so I had that experience, uh, after that, I was thinking, how is God going to use me in missions? And he kind of turned the corner of what I was thinking. And I ended up teaching school and coaching for about seven years, mm -hmm. a farming community near college station. And then I moved to Fort Worth. And uh, during that time, uh, I was coaching, I was teaching science, and God began to work on me that it's time to start making that move in that direction. So I contacted the International Mission Board, and my application, my or uh, uh, process actually took three and a half years, mostly wow. because of my delays. Uh, they would say, okay, you need to do this. And you could have done it in 24 hours. And I took four months. So I wasn't really dragging my feet. I just wasn't uh, in a rush. Uh, yeah. and I, I was looking at Africa, thought God was going to send me to Africa. I was looking at Africa and the timing wasn't right, or this wasn't right, or that wasn't right. And then God just suddenly closed the doors to Africa. Mm. I mean, they were slammed shut. Every request that I was looking at was gone. Mm. And wow. uh, it was sort of like God saying, look elsewhere. And I kept looking at Africa and saying, God, you're not, you're not opening the door. 
half was gone, what was going on. And it was like he was saying, look the other direction. So from Texas, I'm looking at Africa and he's saying, turn around. You're in the wrong direction. And so I began looking at Asia and uh, there were several opportunities in, in Japan and elsewhere. Uh, but God really began to lead me uh, to look at Taiwan. The thing is, the opportunity in Taiwan was not what I wanted. Mm. It was not what I was looking for. It was to teach in, in a mission school. I didn't want to teach in a mission school. I wanted to teach in with the nationals, which is what those opportunities would have been in Africa. And God mm -hmm. just said, kept saying, no, look this way, look this way. So uh, I called home and by now, mom and dad had a response of, well, we have peace about that. That was a confirmation. If they gave a lot of answers, like, and they could give a list, well, we think this is a good idea because one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, not paying to that. That was them responding. But whenever it was that, well, we have a piece about this, mm -hmm. it yeah. was pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm looking at Taiwan. I'm, I'm kind of researching it. And two days later, mom called back and said, I'm just so excited you're going to Taiwan. <clears throat> <laughs> I have such peace. And I said, I'm not going to Taiwan. I'm just looking. She says, oh, I just have such peace about this. Your dad's got such peace about this. And that was a good confirmation. That's not the, yes. the reason for the decision, but it was a confirmation. Uh, I learned that, that God was speaking through them when we began talking about having that peace and that sense of, of uh, I'm settled with it, I'm at ease with it, mm -hmm. regardless of what comes. Uh, so fast forward, uh, I was actually appointed on October 10th in 1983. So I just had a 40 year time period. The significance wow. of October 10th is October 10th is National Day, sort of like Independence Day in Taiwan. And of wow. course, I didn't know that until I got to Taiwan. So wow. it's sort of like Taiwan celebrates their birthday on my appointment day. I think that's nice of them. Yes. <laughs> great. Nice of them, yes. So uh, that's really my journey to the mission field. Uh, I was at Morrison, the mission school for one term. And during that time period, I was involved in three churches on Sunday uh, because my responsibilities were at the school Monday through Saturday. So I was involved in three different churches on Sunday. I was doing discipleship with youth. I was doing evangelism training and discipleship training and Bible studies on uh, at three different churches. And I just I had a, I, God just gave me a love for the people and a desire to work in the churches. And so at the end of that term, I asked the mission if I could switch from being at Morrison, the, the churches and the nationals. And so I did that. Uh, during the 40 years, I have done all sorts of things. I've been a church developer. I've been an MK teacher. 
I've been a student evangelist. I've done sports, uh, sports evangelism. Uh, I've gone to two Olympics doing evangelism, particularly focusing on the athletes. Uh, I started a ministry at the sports university uh, and I've done that since 1997. And I just recently turned that over to some other folks that are going to take that ministry over. Uh, I've been on uh, the student team. I've been on a city team where we're focusing strictly on the church. Uh, so I've done a lot of things. So the one thing you can learn is that missionaries don't always keep doing the same thing. That's right. uh, as needs change and circumstances change, our responsibility and our tasks change. The call never changes. God's call when I was eight, he did not call me to Taiwan. He called me to him. Yes, yes. He called me for salvation. That was calling me into his, his being. When he called me to missions, that was who I was going to be. Yes. He called me to Taiwan. That was a location. But the task, the call of the task has changed over the last 40 years. The last five years, it's it's begun to change again because I've begun working with Hakka. The Hakka are uh, Han Chinese. Uh, they do uh, they they are not a provincial people. They are a migratory people. Mm. Uh, the name Hakka actually means guest people. Uh, they started out in the northern part of China and gradually migrated to the south, and then from there uh, around Hong Kong area. Um, begin to break throughout all of Asia, uh, including Taiwan. They are Han Chinese, but they have their own subculture. And so mm -hmm. people are only 1% Christian. So they're actually an unreached peoples group. But in Taiwan, the Hakka of Taiwan are the most unreached Hakka in the world. So wow. worldwide, you have one Christian out of 100 Hakka. In Taiwan, you have five Christians out of 1,000. Hmm. So the work with the Hakka has been very slow. Uh, if you get speedy, efficient results, uh, you're not going to go to work with the Hakka because you have to develop relationships more so with, than with other uh, Chinese. Uh, and it's really about relationship, relationship, relationship. When they know you and they can trust you, then you can begin to share the gospel. But it's in little bite sizes. Uh, if you meet a Hakka and you share the gospel with them immediately, if you have not made some kind of a connection, they will be right. very gracious, but they're not going to respond to the gospel. Now, it doesn't take a long time to start that relationship. Uh, I am trying at 71, a bad time to do this, but I'm trying to learn the Hakka dialect. In Taiwan, there are five Hakka dialects. I am trying to learn the one that's the most prominent. Mm -hmm. There are dialects. Uh, so I'm trying to learn Hakka. And so it's actually a great icebreaker because I will say something in Hakka and they will immediately know where I initially studied, which was in the South. 
they will know that I'm an American because, well, my face, but also because my Hakka has an American accent. They know I'm, I'm basically a Mandarin speaker because my Hakka has an accent. And so they will laugh and they will say, oh, you studied in the South. And I say, yes, I did. How did you know? And they will kind of give me details about how they recognize I studied in the South. And so we all laugh together. But once we laugh together at my Hakka, and then we kind of laugh at my Mandarin. Then the ice is broken. Yes. And there's an immediate. And so there are opportunities of from time to time of being able to share the gospel immediately. Usually it takes a longer period of time to develop relationships, especially if it's not something you see on a regular basis. Michael, I tell you what, I, I love Glenda. Yes. Man, just she's like the energizer bunny. And um, I tell you, she's got energy and passion um, and humor. I love her humor. I love her talking about the fact that you know, we kept doing all these wonderful things that no, it was called missions. We just kept doing them. And yeah, I love it. We did. We didn't, I didn't know what to call it, but that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Later I find out that, Hey, they call it missions, what we're doing. And, um, but man, just, a just an incredible, incredible lady. And I love what she said when she started talking about her calling and she said yeah. these words, God called me early, but he didn't send me early. And, and in that conversation, as she's talking to us, what she's yeah. sharing with us is the fact that, it may take years for God to prepare you for your life's calling. So you have to be patient. You have to wait for his timing, be sensitive to his leading. Um, and, and I love what she said there. Um, I must look in the direction God is leading um, rather than the direction I want to go because she really wanted to go to Africa. Yeah. I mean, that was her passion. Um, you know, she knew that God had called her to the international field. And her entire international experience was Mexico. <laughs> but she really, yeah, yeah, it, it, that's it. So she really felt it was Africa. And God kept saying, look further, look east, look elsewhere. And, um, and that's how she ended up. But she learned, I just had to wait on God's timing and be sensitive to his leading. So, the, so if you, if you're watching this or listening to this and you are, um, kind of in that waiting room, um, just be patient and wait for God to lead you. Don't run ahead of him uh, like Glenda um, did. She just waited. And then God eventually um, gave her a peace and a passion about going to um, Taiwan, which I thought was a great, great principle. If you're going to join Jesus in his mission, you just have to wait yeah. and uh, be patient. And I love how she explained once you finish the waiting process, that in all that time, all those experiences prepared her for what she was going to do. And yeah. then she said, once I was doing it, once I got to, to where God was taking me. Uh, at that point, the task and the responsibilities changed, but the call never changed. Yes. The call it's always to be on mission where he places you, she said. It's sharing the good news. It's making disciples. 
but she made what may be the most powerful statement about calling I've ever mm-hmm. heard anyone share with us. God's call is not to a plan. It's to him. Yes. God calls us to himself. And later he reveals to me who I am in being called to him. And then will take me where I'm supposed to be and show me what I'm supposed to be doing as I'm living out the mission of being called to him. It may be the most theologically sound sentence about call I've ever heard. I agree. God does not call us to a plan, but to himself. I mean, it is a beautiful thought when you begin to wrap your mind around that. God, the most central thing, God loves me. And he wants me to be with him. And out of being with him, I become who he wants me to be, which evolves my task, my mission, my doing. But only until I have accepted the call to himself. Mm. That was a great, great principle. Great principle. Because we get so caught up on, on the tasks and yeah. the to-dos and the responsibilities. But, I mean, I love what she said. You know, those things change, but the call yeah. never changes. Yeah. And God calls us to himself. It's just a beautiful. And I also love what she talked about, because we've talked about this so much, about joining Jesus in his mission in this culture where we live. Yes. This is especially true in the culture where she lives with the Hakka yeah. people. This importance of, of building relationships, of building bridges and it takes one, and you have to do that one step at a time. I love the phrase she used in bite sizes. Um, you, you build the relationships in bite sizes because she's dealing with a people group um, that's very challenging because they are so, again, it's that that culture of honor and and shame. And if I, if I leave my, if I stop worshiping the ancestors and if I, stop, you know, bring shame to the family and and just working through all of that as you introduce Jesus to them, it takes time. And, and you have to just realize it's all about relationships. And 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 that's important even in today's culture. Um, yes. the day of the day of cold call evangelism, I'm not saying it. So those of you that are watching, <laughs> I'm not saying that still doesn't work. It just doesn't work as effectively yeah. in, in our culture. It's all about building relationships, um, and 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 that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus constantly did, modeled for us throughout the Gospels. Though there are those opportunities God will give you where it's that moment, and you know, I need to I need to sit down with this person and and just really present the gospel to them. But more times than not, it's over coffee, over a period of time, getting to know that person, their story, where they're at, so you know what. The Holy Spirit wants you to speak into their life as you begin to share the story of Jesus, which we'll talk about in part two. Um, It's it's so important that we learned that this is discipleship and evangelism. Yes. It's not this and this. It's not a right punch and a left punch. it's, It's blending together. Because it's important that we understand that in those building relationships, we are 
discipling people to Jesus. Amen. You know, and and boy, that that's that's been such a big thing. Hey, you know, you got this bam, big punch where you get somebody saved, and then you've got this other lick coming where you're gonna and and even that analogy is almost it's almost counterproductive to think I'm going to punch somebody hard enough that they're going to come to Jesus. Yeah. If I and just talk it, loud it, enough and I'm pushing you know, what you said, and it doesn't take long. Yes. Sometimes it only takes a few minutes to open that door to building a relationship. Amen. It doesn't mean it's going to take years. And then she gave us that example and it just, Oh gosh, I, I, well, I can't it wait for us to get to like, part two because there's so much good stuff. I know, there. <laughs> and there's so many takeaways. There's so many principles. I mean, I know I had to really to get three oh, this week was because she says so many nuggets, and so yeah. I would I would encourage you if, if you to rewatch this um, and re-listen to it. And because there are so many nuggets of wisdom and experience yeah. from somebody who's been on the front lines in a very difficult yeah. Um, yeah. culture and is still in that culture. Well, and was raised, raised on the front lines. That's yeah, what's so was, amazing. She, she, oh, yeah. Her, her mom and dad raised her on the front lines. I mean, yeah. I love the fact that her dad would always try to find churches that were in trouble. That's the ones he went to um, because he felt that's where God had called him that's to help where, those churches. Yeah. And, and so she was raised on the front lines of doing ministry and doing mission and and sharing the story of Jesus and all of that. So great stuff. But you have to wait to part two, ladies and gentlemen, next week to see that part of the story and hear more about that. But we're just glad that you joined us today on Rooftop Perspectives. Um, do want to encourage you, as we do every time we meet, um, if you are watching this on Facebook, um, YouTube, like it. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Rooftop TV, um, share this with others. You can do that also on all of the other um, platforms like Spotify and CastBox and Apple. You can share this and share this to your social media. Um, but on the other platforms as well, please leave a review. Um, that helps us tremendously. If you're watching this or listening to it on Spotify or CastBox or Apple or these other platforms, um, leave a review and let people know um, because that, that really helps us get the word out. I also want to encourage you, if you want to know more about The Rooftop, um, please go to our website, therooftop.org. We are a global disciple-making movement helping Christians in over 70 countries get a fresh vision of God's heart for the people around them every day who are far from God but close to them and understanding how do we make disciples who make disciples beyond the walls of the body um, the church. So um, please go to our website and you'll learn more about all the things that are coming up. You'll see a tab about summits. You'll see a tab about where our, our all of our um, pioneers are located around the globe. Um, there's great videos, content throughout the website called Key Points. It tells you more about the ministry and who we are and why we do what we do. So please do that. And I want to remind you, um, this is airing a week before Giving Tuesday, which is November 28th. And so I want to encourage you to pray about giving a special year-end gift to the Rooftop North America. Um, you can use this QR code. And so you may have to go back and relook at this again. 
um, so you can get the QR code. But praying about it, giving a special gift. We we are we are working on raising twenty five thousand dollars by the end of this year to get us ready for twenty twenty four and to tie up some loose strings from twenty twenty three. And so on Giving Tuesday, our goal is twelve thousand dollars. So we pray that you would um, just take some time and say, God, what would you have me to do in um, investing in the work of the rooftop across Canada, Mexico, the United States? And so we thank you for praying for us and praying for that as well. Um, we hope you will enjoy join us next week for part two of this um, phenomenal conversation with yes. our, our, our sweet sister and good friend, Glenda Cook. And we hope you have an incredible week. This is airing also before um, Thanksgiving in the United States. And so we hope all of you have an amazing and wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and friends. God bless. We'll see you next week on Rooftop Perspective.